Our text for this morning is Psalm chapter 46. Will you turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 46? The passage we're going to look at from Psalm 46 is the entire psalm. We're taking the whole chapter, Psalm 46. Normally, I would read this scripture passage, but I have a special surprise for you today. Some of you like surprises. Some of you just got a little nervous. Normally, we would have uh, the scripture read, but today, uh, something a little different, something a little special, I have asked a scripture reader, a member of our church, to read the scripture. And so, this person will read the scripture, but instead of reading it, they will in fact recite the whole psalm from memory. I will call on that person now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> In all seriousness, some of you may know I challenged our Wednesday night prayer group and challenged the staff and challenged some folks last year, and we'll talk a little bit about why, to memorize Psalm 46. And uh, I I don't, I I shouldn't say this, uh, I'm I'm shocked. People did (laughs) Uh, and delighted. And uh, and so um, some folks did, and I asked, would you be willing to be our scripture reader today? And sure enough, they said yes. And so we've got one for the 8 a.m. service, and we've got a different one for the 1030 service. These are folks who have memorized Psalm 46 and will, are now prepared to recite it uh, for our scripture reading. And I think that's pretty special. And so Tom Wooten is our volunteer, and Tom's going to say a few words, and then from memory, recite Psalm 46. Will you encourage Brother Tom as he makes his way up here? You see, I closed the Bible and I'm moving it over here. <laughs> That's right. Hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Tom. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to be with you this morning, uh, to be a part of worship here on Sunday. And, and thank you, Tom, for, for inviting me to do this. I would like to just share just a little bit of background before I recite the, the psalm about my learning experience and kind of what I went through to, to get there. When Tom did, you know, he assigned us a challenge and I went off and went through the holidays knowing that we'd come back in early January and recite that in front of the Bible study prayer group. Um, but I just took it like a normal task, right? Just to start memorizing the words, the scripture, you know, just reading the passages and sentences and, and not really thinking much beyond just the words, the thinking about myself getting back up in front of you here, reciting it in front of the Bible study group. I didn't know I was going to be here on a Sunday at worship service. <laughs> and um, so that went on through the holidays somewhere in about middle of December, a very special and, and wise lady in my life, you know, my wife. Come on. Um, she nodded to me and said, what, you know, what are you doing? You know, she saw me mumbling along and uh, mumbling along. And uh, I said, I'm memorizing the scripture for, you know, for prayer group when we get back after, after the holidays. She said, well, why? And I thought about what she was saying. You know, we all know memorization of scripture is good. It's healthy for us. We know that. But there was a little bit more inside me going on than wasn't just Tom told me to do it. Or maybe Tom will memorize my name now or something like that, right? You know, I get to stand up in front of him. Uh, It made me think, and it is more. It was for the Lord. Uh, It was for his grace and his love. And that that truly kind of stopped me from just memorizing sentences and words and actually put it into the implications and the meanings of of what the actual psalm meant for me. And I, I really, truly got a chance to, you know, really take it a little deeper and understand his grace and his love and all the words that were in there. So it was really special. So... 
Um, one last thing I'll say is that uh, they told me when I was saved that the Holy Spirit is inside me. Yes. Um, I will tell you that that doesn't always feel true to me. You know, at an evening blessing or when I'm praying or if I'm just trying to share my thoughts with God. So I ask that the Holy Spirit is with me today as I share these words with you and yes. they're pleasing for both you and the Lord. So with that, I will recite Psalm 46. Okay, here we go. I'm a little nervous. All right. <laughs> God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God, God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. Let's say it together again. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Look, I, uh, I want to say a brief word about, about why this is so important to me and why it's not just been on my heart, but on so many people's hearts. Like, the, the time to build a storm shelter is not when the tornado is bearing down on you. You need a shelter. You need a refuge and strength. And if it's not this one, let it be some piece of me scripture memory. And I've I just... So much in 2023, I'm meeting with grieving people, with hurting people, and I find myself saying over and over again, listen, these scriptures that you've learned, they were built for the hard times. Their scriptures are not just for the good times, but they're durable. They're built for the hard times. And so I want to open with an article written by Gordon McDonald. It's his story. Gordon McDonald, a uh, uh, longtime pastor, author, chancellor of Denver Seminary. He wrote this article in 2013. I went back and found it. He says, in the fall of 1956, kind of his testimony about scripture memory. In the fall of 1956, I began my final year at the Stony Brook School. Now, the Stony Brook School is in Long Island. It is a Christian school. It used to be a prep school just for boys. It's now co-ed. I've had the opportunity to preach chapel many times at Stony Brook School. I know the campus well. And uh, Gordon McDonald was there and among he, the required courses, remember it's a private Christian all-boys school in 1956, and one of the required courses was Senior Bible, taught by the school's headmaster, Dr. Frank E. Gabeline. Dr. Gabeline was the quintessential prep school headmaster, a little eccentric, extremely intelligent, cultured. They called him the Gabe, never to his face. Most important, he was a deep-thinking, devout Christian. 
Uh, he insisted it was his job to teach the last Bible class most of the boys at Stony Brook would ever take. And his core passion was to prepare these boys. Part of his regimen was Bible memorization. He required those seniors to memorize 300 verses of Scripture in the course of that year. 300 verses. Some were whole chapters. Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13, Matthew 5. And he said, and the one chapter I have to mention, Psalm 46, the most difficult of them all. They were all the King James Version with all its Shakespearean English. And he said, Gabe, the Gabe, took Scripture memory to new heights. If he met a student on the pathway from class to the dining hall, he would say, Gordon, give me John 13, 34. <laughs> Can you imagine? He expected a boy to be able to summon from memory out of 300 verses without faltering. That's why many of us found all sorts of pathways around the campus whereby we could avoid <laughs> the Gabe. But you couldn't avoid him when class began, he writes. Worst of all, boys with Bibles closed, write out for me Ephesians 6. What he meant by that was a handwritten copy of Ephesians 6 with perfect spelling, perfect capitalization, perfect punctuation. To miss even a punctuation mark was to rewrite the thing five or ten times. We seniors learned to write out verses on index cards and review them at every possible moment, and we would test each other. But because we had to get capitalization and punctuation, it was not unusual to hear people rehearsing things like this. Big R, Romans 5, colon 8. Big B, but God, but big G, God commendeth his love toward us, comma, in that comma, why we will yet sinners, comma, big C, Christ died for us, period. <laughs> we actually talked like that, he writes. And did we complain about this? Of course we did. We complained to anyone who would listen, even the campus dog. We told everyone except, of course, Dr. Gabe, which brings me back to Psalm 46, period. Big G, God, is our refuge and strength, comma, a very present help in trouble, period. Big T, therefore, we will not fear, comma, though the earth be removed, comma, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, semicolon. And the course goes on. For days we worked on Psalm 46, memorized, recited, memorized, until the psalm was a part of us. Well, in the spring of 1957, mercifully, senior Bible ended. We put our index cards away. We graduated from Stony Brook and went off to college. And over the years, I suppose as a pastor, I've preached on it, and I've always told that story about how I was forced to memorize it. And Gordon McDonald writes, but now 56 years have passed, and a few days ago, my doctor called me. Gordon, this is Dr. B. I've got some difficult news. There's a tumor in the back of your head in the lining of the brain. It's not malignant, but it will have to come out, and that means surgery. McDonald writes, I've spent my whole life helping other people face doctor call moments like these. Now it was my turn. And as the doctor went through further details of my situation, the very first thing that began to surge through my mind, the very first thing, big G God, is our refuge and strength, comma. A very present help in trouble, period. Big T, therefore, we will not fear, period. We will not fear, period. We will not fear, period. What about you? What will be the first thing that runs through your mind when you get that phone call 
this psalm is divided into three stanzas, and I'm calling the first one, and that'll be the outline of our message. I'm, I'm calling the first one. There's all these natural disasters, but I'm calling this first point. He's the God. Each one's about God, and I'm going to tell you, he's the God of that phone call. God is the God of that phone call. You know the one when you get that text, when that conversation starts, when you hear, hey, honey, we need to have a talk, when the, when the sheriff shows up at your front door, when the boss says, come into my office and uh, shut the door, would you? When the teacher says, hey, you're going to need to see me after class, or wor- the worst of all, the absolute worst of all is, hey, you may want to sit down for this. For anyone who's gone through these things, these verses capture exactly what it feels like. When you think this can't be happening, when you think, no, 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 this is what happens to other people. When when you go through something and you keep thinking you're going to wake up because it's a bad dream, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Here's what it feels like. It feels like the earth is giving way. Do you see that in verse 2? Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, See, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I've, I've never been part of an earthquake. I've, thankfully, I've never been in a place where there's an earthquake. Some of you perhaps have. But can you imagine the most sturdy thing there is, is the ground you stand on. And suddenly to feel that uh, uh, roar and foam like waters, like you're walking on uh, uh, waves instead of solid ground. That's what it feels like when you get that phone call. It feels like the, the rug of reality has been pulled out from under you. I've seen people, they receive news where it's like they, it's like they went into shock. They, they just couldn't function. They couldn't believe what was happening. That it perfectly describes what it feels like. And that's how that first stanza ends. And it ends, each stanza ends with this word selah. Perhaps you'll see that as you're reading the Psalms, you know you'll see selah. Remember, this, uh, the psalmist, when you read the Psalms, you do realize you're reading the, the hymnal Jesus would have used. This is Jesus' hymn book. And just like with a hymn book, a hymn book's great, but it's not so much, its greatness is not just in the, in, the, in the lyrics, but in the music. Well, we don't have the music, we have just the lyrics, but Selah was probably a musical notation. And because it comes over and over in times of, it's kind of like where you would rest, or like in music when there's a rest or a pause. Uh, in the same way, you, you'll read along in Psalms and then you see Selah. The best uh, definition of Selah I heard, I think it was uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll says, hold up a minute and let that sink in. That's pretty good. When you see Selah, it means, hey, don't read so fast. Don't blow past this. Stop and let that sink in. What it feels like when you get that phone call. Here's what you need to know. Now look, the Bible, I love all, all these natural disasters. The Bible never denies that all sorts of trouble will come upon a child of God. There are all sorts of things that can cause a human to fear. And here they list several natural disasters. Some things might happen, like a natural disaster or economic collapse or wars or pandemics. And some things must happen, like death and taxes. There's a great many causes for fear, and yet the Christian, it says, will not fear. Why? Because of emotion? No, because of logic. Therefore, verse 2's logic flows naturally from verse 1's proposition. Look closely. God, look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That tells you right there three things you need to know about God. Number one, he's your refuge. He's your refuge. What's a refuge? A refuge is a fortress, a place you run to. It's your defense. It's your safe place. And let me just tell you, everybody needs a refuge. You need a refuge. Everybody. 
Uh, were you like me? Is anybody, as a kid, did you ever play tag? Tag is a game that favors sprinters, quick lateral movements, you know, um, and uh, whoever is the best sprinter can win tag. However, there is a variation of tag that stacks the deck a different direction. There is a variation of tag you can play that no longer favors sprinters, but endurance runners. And that's the variation called tag no bases. See, part of the fun of tag is trying to get to base. And once you're on base, you're on your safe place. You can't, uh, uh, you can't be tagged. And so as long as there's a base, then really all you have to do is make it to your base. That's like your, your refuge. But if you play a game of tag where there's no bases, then it's inevitable. It may take a while, and you may be able to run pretty fast for a while, but it's inevitable. Your lungs will start burning, your legs ache, and I don't care if you're 12. Your dad will catch you. Sorry, this is hypothetically, hypothetically. You may be faster sprinter, and you may be quicker to get to the base, but if it's an endurance, marathons win. So if you're living life, let me tell it this way. If you're living life without God, you're playing spiritual tag with no base. And the enemy, like a roaring lion, will roam. And ultimately, he will catch up with no refuge. If you have no refuge, it's like playing tag with no base. And, and here, so here's what happens. Do you say, well then, well, then I just won't have a base. Oh, no, no, no. No, we've all done it. If you don't have God as your base, if you don't have God as your refuge, you won't go without a refuge. You will invent your own refuge. You'll just create your own refuge. And, 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 and here's what you know. You know they don't work. For some, their refuge becomes a mask that they wear. And that's their refuge. Yeah, I'm crumbling, I'm falling apart, but my safe place is this mask I wear on social media or when I'm around other people. And as long as I've got the mask on, I can't be hurt. I'll just sort of fake it through life. Doesn't work. For others, the refuge becomes numbing the pain. You know, just escaping. You know the usual suspects. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, overeating, whatever. For others, their refuge becomes their work. I'll pour myself into work and just sort of distract as a place to hide. And maybe they feel like they work in the short term, but none of these places are going to be any good when the whole earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. You have no defense on earth if the earth itself can be hit. So do you understand that that's, that's the structure of this psalm? Therefore, we will not fear, even though the sturdiest thing we can think of is the earth, and even the earth gives way. What's the psalmist's point? The point is no defense on earth is any good if earth itself can be wiped out. You need a refuge that is beyond earth. See, that's why God is our refuge and strength. Refuge and strength. Refuge, if you will, is like the defense. Strength, he's more than just a safe place. Strength is the power inside. You heard Tom talk about how the Holy Spirit comes into the life of a Christian and didn't, doesn't always feel that way, but he's there. That's the strength from the inside. See, God wants you more than just to survive the natural disasters and troubles of life. He also wants to give you strength to thrive. The strength is the, the dynamic part, the moving us forward part. Think of it as offense and defense. The defense is the refuge. Yes, you have a safe place. But the offense is you're going to go out into the world and be victorious. And this is a word, and honestly, this is a word for people, quite frankly, you're probably not even in the room right now. You're probably watching this online. 
Because there is a kind of darkness and a kind of depression you get to where you don't even get out of bed and leave the house anymore. And if that's you, you need to know God is not only your refuge, he's also your strength to get up, to get out of bed, to go and face the world. He's more than a refuge. He's a strength. And he's a very present help in trouble. Don't just blow right past that. Notice the immediacy. Very present help in trouble. What a great phrase. That that means God is right now available. You don't even have to wait to the invitation. You don't have to wait to the altar call at the end of this. You can go to him right now. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found, right? Don't ever overlook that. Charles Spurgeon points out, God is more present than any friend or relative. In fact, God is more present to you right now than your trouble. It may not feel that way, but even God is more present than trouble. You say, how can he do that? How can God be so present? Like, how does God get there so fast? I'm not on social media, but I have had friends who laugh. There's a particular social media channel here in Coleman that it seems like before people have an accident, they're like, yeah, I'm here, I'm ready. And they're able to, to get this data out that, oh, there was a wreck on this place. or whatever. And they scratch their head and they go, now, how do you get there so fast? How did they get there so fast? Well, even before the news media or social media channels, God is already there. How does God get to your place of trouble so fast? The answer is because he didn't have to get there. He knows the end from the beginning. He is there. You know that, right? God has never shown up late to anything. God never comes to the scene of an accident and asks the paramedics, hey, what happened? Fill me in. Sorry. God's always there. Does that verse, let me ask you, that verse is pretty old. Does that verse have an expiration date? Can you outlive that verse? Can you outgrow that verse? Does that verse grow stale? Or how about this? You ever get a prescription that has a limited number of refills? How many times you can refill it, and it's like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to talk to somebody. You're going to have to get your doctor or whatever. Does that verse have a limited number of refills? How many times can you fill up on the priceless treasure of the promise of God before your refills run out? No limit. No expiration date. That verse will never lose its power. The grass withers, flower fades, word of God stands forever. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's the God of that phone call. Secondly, second stanza, not only is God the God of that phone call, I'm calling the second point, God is the God of his city. God is the God of that phone call, and I hope you know what I mean by that, Uh, those times of emergency and crisis. But God is the God of his city. God will defend the place where he dwells. The reformer Martin Luther often found himself under death threats because he wouldn't recant, and whenever he felt afraid, he would say to his friends, come, let's sing the 46th. Martin Luther would come together and sing the 46th Psalm, and he wrote his most famous hymn, that great battle hymn of the Reformation. You know this? A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. He wrote that hymn based on Psalm 46, because God defends his city. You know the verses, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Oh, the nations rage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the nation's rage. Read the news. The kingdom's totter. He utters his voice. The whole earth melts. You see? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, we don't know that this may, this may be referring to a particular battle in Israelite history. The fact is we don't know. Uh, but, but generally speaking, this, this business about there's a river, verse 4, whose streams make glad the city of God. You know, 
an ancient Near East city under siege. Can you imagine siege warfare? The, the cities back then, they were these mighty walled cities. Think of the walled city of Jericho, or in the case of Jerusalem, this mighty walled city. Why would an army risk all of these casualties to try to take down that walled city? Instead, you could just starve them out. And so that's how they conducted warfare back then. They would just try to starve you out. And I think even today, we could apply that the enemy of God's people, Satan, it may not be a full, direct, frontal assault. He may be just trying to starve you out, just squeeze you out. And so an army would gather around and just wait for dehydration and starvation. Of course, if that city had a water supply, then the enemy could wait as long as they wanted, and they would never run out of water. The very thing happened to Jerusalem in 701 BC. They were surrounded by the Assyrians. And I'm sure the ancient, those, those Assyrian armies would do all they could to cut off all known water supplies and wait for them to give up. But what the enemy could not know and what the enemy could not touch was this natural spring that gushed forth into a river and made the inhabitants of Jerusalem glad. Kind of goes back to that message last week about being happy. The roots run deep and draws from a source beyond what people can see. And that's what happened in 701 BC. God is in the midst of her. God was in the midst of his city. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. Now, look, I don't know if this is exactly about the Assyrian battle of 701 BC, but it certainly could be. If you recall, you can can reread this story in 2 Kings 19 as well as uh, Isaiah 36 and 37. And in that story, you've got the Assyrian army. They've come. They've got uh, King Hezekiah and his people in Jerusalem all, all buttoned up and siege warfare. And uh, this, uh, this great character, this field general of Sennacherib, who's the king of Assyria, is named the Rabshakeh. It's a great name, the Rabshakeh. And you can read the Rabshakeh uh, uh, gives this uh, basically ancient version of trash talk. He says, we're going to take you down, and, and you know, here's what we've done to every other. And he starts describing in very graphic detail just how horrible the death that everyone in the city of Jerusalem is going to die. So at one point, the guards say, hey, could you speak to us in a different language? Because all these people understand Hebrew, and we don't want them to hear it. And he says, no, they're the ones that are going to pay the price. We're going to speak in Hebrew. We're going to speak so that you understand all what's going to happen. And uh, King Hezekiah takes all this, and you remember he has the people gather, and he lays out, they basically send him a letter, here's what we're going to do to you, and it's going to be terrible. He takes that letter, and he lays it out before the Lord. He just goes to God in prayer. It's incredible. And the kingdoms, you know, the nations are raging, and the kingdoms totter. And uh, after this prayer, the next morning, you know, God is in the midst of her. God will help her when morning dawns. Sure enough, the next morning, they go out and look, and it turns out overnight, God sent One angel. One angel. And they looked out and there were 185,000 dead, fierce Assyrian warriors. The most powerful Assyrian warriors. And they've all been wiped out with one angel. Why? Because the kingdom, the nation's rage and the kingdom's totter. He utters his voice. It's over. That's all it takes. Just one word. He has absolute authority over everything in your life. His power. Just one word. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Hey, just a word about that. You, every time you see that, can you, can you look at verse 7? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When you see Lord of hosts, that's God of the angel armies. The hosts are the army of angels, right? The Lord of hosts is with us. I want you to think about God's power. 
The God of Jacob is our fortress. When you see God of Jacob, I want you to think about his grace. Why does God of Jacob make you think of grace? Go back to the story, Jacob and Esau. What did Jacob bring to the table that God should put his favor on him? Nothing. Jacob have I loved. I've chosen Jacob. Jacob didn't bring anything to the table. God's grace chose Jacob. You and I don't bring anything to the table. You didn't buy God's favor. He loves you because he loves you. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, I say God is the God of his city. But what if you said, but Tom, but that's nice for the people living in Jerusalem if that's God's city, but we don't live in Jerusalem. No, that's true. That's true. And God did locate his presence, not only in Jerusalem, but specifically where in Jerusalem did God want to locate his glory and his presence? It was in the temple in Jerusalem, right? And you say, well, that's great then. God will protect where his temple is, but his temple's not there. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. What did that symbolize? It symbolized that God no longer centers his work in Jerusalem, but in Christ. And all those who are saved are said to be in Christ. All those who are believers are in Jesus, which means, and this is why the New Testament over and over hammers this home. God is in the midst of her. She won't be moved. And you say, well, yeah, God's in the midst of his temple. Yeah, I could see why God would defend his temple. Fine. But what about us? And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know you are God's temple? And God's spirit dwells within you. That casts Psalm 46 in a whole new light. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. When some uh, uh, person looks at your life, imagine some saint who's walking through grief and you go, how is she able to go through that? You could respond, because God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. See? God is in the midst of him. Look, look at God's people. God is in the midst. and He will defend his city. Well, finally, let's close with the last stanza of this psalm. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Now, this could apply to what happened to those uh, Assyrians back in 701, or maybe burning the chariots with fire, breaking the bow. Maybe it it refers to uh, uh, when the uh, Egyptian army was pursuing the Israelites and the Red Sea overcame them. I mean, it does remind us of what Moses, back in Exodus 14, he told the people who were like, well, that's it, we're all going to die. And Moses said, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. That's what Moses told the people. In Exodus 14, you only need to stand still. The Lord will fight with you. And sure enough, as they cross through, over the night, the Egyptian army comes through. But then what happened? When morning dawns, turns out, God helped his people. And that brings us to Psalm 4610, the most famous verse of this psalm. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still means cease striving. It is a command. I passed, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen of these on the way to church this morning. It's red. It's an octagon. (laughs) It says, be still. Don't just roll through this. That's illegal. Stop. Stop striving. Cease striving. It is a command from God. A modern-day application might be this. Here, does this hit home? Hey, stop scrolling. Enough. There's only so much news you can take in that is healthy before I think the word for you is stop scrolling. Be still. 
turn it off. You don't need anxiety building up in the background when no one's watching by leaving your TV on the news. Why? Psalm 46.10, be still and know that in the midst of all this noise, it's just noise, I am God. Now ponder that for a second. Be still. If all you got was be still and know, that would be terrifying. Because, the re- I, listen, be still and know means I got to be still and I got to think. Well, what am I going to think about? If there is no God, this verse is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Because it means I go to a funeral or I, I stop, actually stop for five minutes and really think about, existentially think about life and existence. And if it's all over and if we're just a chemical accident and you put us in the grave and that's it, lights out, then that is, that is absolutely terrifying. So if be still and know is all you're left with as a mantra, that's horrifying to the atheist. That verse should be shocking and terrifying. But to the believer, be still and know what? That I am God. Okay, now there's hope. That means this story will not end. It means that I'm wrapped up into the story of God. And if God is God, then that's where I'm going to make this last point. The first one is he's the God of that phone call. The second one is God will defend his city. And no, this is not a typo. God is God. God is God. Look at this quote I found uh, from Jonathan Edwards where I got, I got the idea of this, this uh, phraseology. He was talking about Psalm 46.10, and he writes, the sole consideration, in other words, if you just stop and think about that, God is God. That is sufficient to quiet all objections to his sovereignty. Whatever your soul needs is found in that place to be still and know that God is infinitely perfect in his being. He is infinitely great above all comprehension. He owns everything. He's strong enough to handle everything in your life. And if you question why did certain things happen, he's smarter than we are. God is God. That humbles us, but it exalts God. Years ago, I saw this uh, uh, teacher at an elementary school. I think it was school for, I don't remember what age, little kids. <laughs> so I, she had a t-shirt on when she turned around. And I just laughed so hard. And I, I wondered, I thought, well, I wonder what's behind that. But I laughed so hard, the t-shirt said, because I'm the principal, that's why. <laughs> I thought, what a great shirt, you know. Uh, yeah, there's some things, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, she's in charge, that's why. And I, I thought, this, is, this Psalm 4610 is like, because God is God, that's why. No one has written better on this subject than Elizabeth Elliot, who writes, I dethrone God in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. You know? Here's her quote. It's a famous quote. I've used it before. Do you know it, Elizabeth Elliot? God is God. And if he is God, he is worthy of my worship. You may want to take a photo of this. He's worthy of my worship and my service. I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably, beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. I can't tell you how many times uh, someone is looking for answers in the tragedy and in the chaos and in the uh, turmoil of their life, and I think I can do no better than saying, look, I don't know, but God is God. And if he is God, then he's got something going on that is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond what I could know. Over the Christmas break. I don't know. I guess we started this a, a couple years ago, but you know, it's so cold outside that uh, uh, Jackie decided it might be fun for us as a family and just, you know, not necessarily do it all at once, but just over time to leave out a jigsaw puzzle. 
pieces are everywhere, you know, and we dump that box out. And uh, boy, when you're in the store, these, these jigsaw boxes, it looks like such a good idea. Because <laughs> you can see the top of the box, right? But then when you dump the thing out, it's just an absolute mess of pieces. It's an absolute mess of pieces, especially early on. And you're like, oh, look for an edge piece. Like, yeah, right, edge piece. Why do we get a 20,000-piece puzzle of the ocean, you know, or whatever? It's just, this is insane. It's just a mess. And so what do puzzlers, and you've done it, what do puzzlers do? You get focused on this mess. What do puzzlers do? What do you keep looking back at? That box top. And you say, no matter what, no matter what this mess looks like, that's what it's going to be. There's a box top. Here's the thing about life. So many times, it looks like a jumbled mess of puzzle pieces. Psalm 46.10 said is, but God sees your box top. See? He knows what he's doing in your life. He will complete it. You ever think of that? He's got every one of your box tops. Won't that be fun? Can you imagine in Hobby Lobby if we got to see all your box tops right there? Oh, that's what that was meant to do in my life. Don't, don't, don't lose sight of that. Psalm 4610, be still and know. I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It leaves no doubt to God's victory. That's why the, the greatest investment you'll make in missions and in the Great Commission, listen, don't ever doubt. Don't ever doubt. That's why I ask folks to give to kingdom work, and I never apologize. Giving to kingdom work is, is, is the greatest use of dollars and time and treasure. It, don't doubt the success of missionary work. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will be exalted. And part of how he will be exalted, did you think of this? Part of how he'd be exalted is for everybody who felt like the earth gave way under their feet will give testimony to how God brought them through, and that will be part of the exaltation of God. You might say it this way. What you see as a great trial, what you see as a great problem, God may be seeing as an opportunity to save and deliver and redeem and show his goodness through the pain. So what you're going through is terrible and the nations rage and the, what is it, the, the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea. Your storm is God's stage. Does that make sense? What you're going through as a storm is his stage to display his glory. Because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Back to Gordon McDonald. He closes that article with this. He said, you know what? I describe this boyhood experience for this reason. He said, looking back, when I was a teenager, a brilliant and godly professor, Dr. Gabe, uh, pumped me and my friends full of scripture, and he says, you know, I, I guess you could say he bullied us with all that insistence on punctuation, spelling, and capitalization. But I have to say, his effort's paying off. If Psalm 46 is the first thing I've turned to, I can enlarge my private world, and I can engage the spiritual work that I'll have to do in the next few months. So thank you, Dr. Gabe, in Psalm 46. I may be concerned, I may be cautious, but I am not inclined to be fearful, exclamation point. And he closes with this. I'm now watching two or three generations of Christians coming behind me. What about those that don't know the Bible? Or what about those who've hardly ever memorized the scripture verse? What will their first thoughts be when the doctor calls them? Question mark. 
Let's pray. God, grant in this moment, even now, we might be still and know that you are God. I pray for everybody who's really going through a a tough time, that Psalm 46 would be for them a piece of driftwood in the ocean. That you are, in fact, whether we acknowledge it or not, you are a refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. God, grant to us who know you that we would know you more deeply, whether we memorize Psalm 46 or some other passage that you lay on our hearts. God, grant to us a deep, deeper and more abiding trust in you. And if there's anybody that doesn't know you, that today would be the day where they receive you. Maybe today is the day where it, it, it occurs to them, you are the only safe refuge, strength. And grant they would turn their lives over to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.